Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word that speaks powerfully to us, and we ask that you might reveal to us uh, the truth of the glory of the, of the gospel, this good news story, and what it means for us as we seek to be people who strive to live lives uh, that honour you uh, and that fulfil all of our heart, deep heart's desires. Well, this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder how you would answer the question, how do I live a good life? How do I live a fulfilling life? How do I live a satisfying life, a meaningful life? How would you answer that question? What is the good life? How would your family answer that question? What about your friends and your neighbours? What would their answer to the question, uh, what is a good life be? Maybe you don't know the answer, and so you might go to your local bookshop and uh, uh, pick up a book like this one, that's apparently a top seller at the moment, Good Vibes, Good Life, How Self-Love is the Key to Unlocking uh, Your Greatness. Wow. Um, Who knew that self-love could do uh, all of that? Now, the answer to the question, how to live the good life, uh, can come in various forms. Self-love, like that book suggests. Uh, And actually, a lot of people, I think, think that that is the road to to the good life. That if we are simply true to ourselves and true to uh, our felt identities... Uh, and and that if in doing that we then strive for justice to make the world a better place and, and get justice for our climate and justice for uh, minorities and justice for our own identity, particularly if we identify as a minority group, uh, then, then this is the good life. Being true to ourselves and, and working for justice in the world. Many people think that that, that is what makes life good. Others uh, take a more traditional view that to be good is simply to to put your head down, to work hard, uh, to not ever have to rely on anyone for any help uh, and to be able to provide for yourself and for your family, making sure that in the, um, the working of your life you don't hurt anyone else. Perhaps if you're like many people, as you think about what it is to live the good life, it's actually quite kind of hard to do uh, in this COVID-19 era. For at the, just at the moment, uh, maybe you've been working hard all your life and all of a sudden the government shut down your, your business and your job. Or uh, maybe uh, there's no longer any avenues for you to gather and to protest and, and work for justice. Perhaps this is the first time ever in your life you've actually had the chance to stop and to consider, well, what actually do I think a good life would look like? Why do I do the different things that I do? Seeing as everything's been stopped and I've kind of uh, been stuck into my house, uh, what is it that I'm going to go back and do as we go through these uh, uh, releasing of restrictions? Well, if you're wondering about the purpose of life and what it is to live a good life, 
then I want to suggest to you that the book of Romans is a great place to go because in this book of the Bible, written by Paul, it lays out the great problem we all face and it provides the only deep and lasting solution to that problem. It gives us God's answer to where we find true justice. It gives God's answer to where we find our true identity. It gives God's answer to what it means to live the good life. And in fact, the book of Romans, ever since it was written uh, some uh, 2,000 almost years ago, slightly less, it has been impacting people's lives for all the years since it has been penned. Let me tell you what a German monk and famous Protestant reformer Martin Luther says, who himself was actually converted uh, by reading Romans. He says of Romans, this is the chief part of the New Testament and truly the purest gospel. It is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. That's a, that's a high value on the book of Romans, isn't it? His slightly younger contemporary, uh, John Calvin, said of Romans, if we have gained a true understanding of this letter, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures of Scripture saying, if we come to Romans and we seek it to understand it, then we will be able to know the heart of our faith, the heart of what it is to live a good life. And in fact, many notable Christian leaders throughout history have testified to the impact that the book of Romans has had on their lives. Augustine of Hippo in the year 386, that's right, 386, talks about how Romans transformed his life up as he was reading through chapter 13. Martin Luther, in 1515, as he begins to, to teach and preach on the book of Romans, as a monk, realises the truth of the gospel. John Wesley, a famous English missionary and founder of the Methodist Church in 1738, discovers the beauty and wonder of the gospel as he reads Romans. Karl Barth, a 20th century theologian who kind of uh, brought credibility back to evangelical theology in a, in a very liberal world as he's dealing with the fallout of, of the war in 1918, reads the book of Romans and discovers what it means for Jesus to be the road to a good life. As one scholar, F.F. Bruce, says, there is no saying what may happen when people begin to study the letter to the Romans. So, I hope you're excited. Uh, I hope you're looking forward to what may come as we look at this book of Romans and seek to understand its deep, rich, and relevant truths for our lives. Well, let's have a look 
at what we see here in Romans 1, verses 1 through 17. First, we see the first six verses, Paul occupies himself with an introduction. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Like all his other letters, Paul here begins introducing himself. Uh, unlike the way we write letters today in uh, the first century, that's how you wrote a letter. You, you, you would say who you were and then you would say who you were writing to. We always say who we're writing to, write everything and then say who it's from. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it, that, that you know who, who something's from before you read what they have to say. So Paul tells us, uh, I am Paul, I am a servant of Jesus and an apostle. Yet unlike uh, his other letters, he then goes into greater detail about this gospel. Let me read to you again uh, what he says. He says, set apart for the gospel of God and then we see kind of a, a dash indicating that he's going to explain that a bit more. Verse 2, the gospel that was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. We see here that Paul's reminding the Romans that this gospel story, which he serves as an apostle, uh, is God's promised plan revealed in Christ. It is a story about this Jesus. And it is through Jesus that Paul has been uh, called into his uh, life's mission to be an apostle to the Gentiles, verse 5. Well, next, Paul goes on to talk about those who he's writing to. Having introduced himself, he's a servant of the gospel. What's the gospel? God's promised plan that brings grace to all, especially uh, to, to the Gentiles. Now, Paul goes on to talk about those he's writing to, to the Romans. It's where the book gets its name from. To all in Rome, verse 7, who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Again, though, we see a, a difference. A difference here between uh, most of Paul's other letters and this one is that Paul here is writing to the Roman church to which he has never actually been. Most of Paul's other letters, we read about him going there in Acts, planning the church, setting it up, uh, then moving on somewhere else, and then he writes back to try and uh, lead them from, from a distance and correct them and, and help them grow as a, as a church and a body of believers. In this case, Paul writes to the Romans whom he has not been involved with the, the, the founding of their church. And so he says, verse 8, that he thanks God through Jesus Christ because your faith is being reported all over the world. Uh, I've heard of your faith. And so I've been praying for you, verse 9. And I long to see you, verse uh, 11 and 12, so that I may come and minister amongst you. And, verse 13, to do some evangelism. I do not want you to be unaware that I plan many times to come to you, uh, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. I've heard about your faith, I've been praying for you and I'm going to come and do some ministry with you. 
I think it's sort of at this point a bit like uh, what might have happened in the old, older days when, say, Billy Graham would come to town. Uh, some of you might remember that. Some of you will have only have read of it. Uh, but when, uh, you know, uh, Billy Graham, the great American evangelist, would, would come to, to, to a town, he, he would start by writing to the local churches and uh, encouraging them to begin uh, praying and, and seeking uh, their, their kind of welcome for him into the church. And, and the local churches would, would work together with him so that he could come and do some ministry in that place. And of course, we know that, it, that, that his crusades reached reaped great harvest time and time again. Paul here, likewise, I've heard about your faith. Uh, this is who I am and I want to come and minister to you. And having mentioned his desire to partner with them in gospel mission, he then essentially sums up both his calling and his faith as he talks about his gospel-inspired mission that he wants to come and, and, and join with the, the Roman church in doing. Verses 14 to 17, Paul says about his gospel-inspired mission, I'm obliged, obliged, I'm obligated, sorry, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. He's under obligation to do what? Verse 15, to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, uh, has been set apart by God, has been called by God and so is obliged by, by God to this gospel mission, to preach Jesus Christ crucified and the forgiveness of sins to those who repent and turn to him with faith. And of course, Paul then says that this message which he's obliged to preach is one of which he is not ashamed. And we get these famous words, these key phrases in verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul is not ashamed of his message, even though he's copped a lot because of it. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, Jew first, then Gentile. And that little statement there about Jews and Gentiles uh, gives us a, a bit of an insight into some of the background of this letter. For uh, in the early church, simmering away in the background of all the, uh, the epistles and uh, of the book of Acts is this, this great tension. Uh, lest we idolise the early church as though it was perfect when Jesus left and it's been corrupted 2,000 years later, it had, it had issues with sin from the beginning. And, and their big problem was trying to uh, work out how Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians could be Christians together. What was the obligation for a Gentile person who became a Christian? What did it mean for someone to be both Jewish and Christian? This was a, a hard issue. We see it in places 
like Acts 15, where the church is really trying to grapple with this and there are people with very different views and sometimes uh, things get a bit heated. And as we work our way through Romans, particularly uh, when we eventually get to chapters 9 through 11, we, we, we start to see uh, Paul kind of trying to address this issue. But it would seem that part of what Paul is doing with the book of Romans is, is to speak to this issue and to say, no matter who you are, no matter what your racial background, no matter what your uh, uh, group you're part of, the gospel brings us all down and then up. The, the gospel is the great leveller. Because in this story, we are all sinners falling short of God's good standard. And in this same gospel, we are all by faith more than conquerors. Children of the living God. And it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman or a child or whether you're a Jew or a Gentile or black or yellow or white. doesn't matter what identity you have placed upon yourself in the gospel, all that is stripped away. And we are all together, rich, poor, on the same level, lowered and then in, hu in humility and then raised in glory through faith in Christ. Of course, Paul is not ashamed of this gospel. What a great message indeed. The power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, Jew and Gentile alike. Verse 17 also goes into a little bit more detail about what the gospel does for us. Paul says, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. What is the righteousness of God that is revealed in the gospel? Well, John Stott, as he reflects on this, says, uh, of the many scholarly debates, we don't need to choose. The righteousness of God, he says, is both a quality of God, an activity of God and a gift of God. A quality of God, an activity of God and a gift of God. And, and Paul has all in mind, I think, but particularly the last aspect, gift, uh, when he uses this phrase here. Let, let's just unpack that a little bit more. The righteousness of God revealed in the Gospel. God reveals his righteous quality in the gospel by sending his son to pay the price of sin that is he is a just God and he doesn't just let sin go unpunished he instead takes the punishment on himself so that in his grace which he extends to us he's still just so in the gospel God reveals his righteous qualities his his in, his inner justice by making sure that sin doesn't go unpunished. 
That's good news, isn't it? Because it means we know that justice will be served to all one day. And that, it, that justice ought to be served on us, but if we turn to God in faith, he justly deals with what we deserve through the death of his son. God also reveals his righteous activity in the gospel by, as we heard at the start, uh, being true to the promises that he had made long ago. Uh, Jesus being a descendant of David, ultimately Jesus being uh, the promised one child of Abraham who brings blessing to all nations. God is righteous in his activity by doing what he said he would do, bringing salvation to the world. He, in the gospel, he retains his his internal quality of, of justice by dealing with sin and judging it through Jesus. Uh, he, he, he remains just to his promises and his covenant by sending Jesus. His righteous activity. And finally, in the gospel, we receive God's righteous gift, his righteousness as a gift. If we choose to turn to God in faith, we get a right standing before God. God's righteousness is his just justification of the unjust, his righteous way of pronouncing the unrighteous righteous through Christ by faith. And, and here's the really amazing thing about the gospel, the, this good news story about Jesus that we're going to unpack as we work our way through Romans. The, the good news story is that at its heart, it's all about justice. And as we live in a world that longs for justice, justice for our environment, justice for the poor, justice for the, the marginalised, we have a story that says, God loves justice. God is just and actually the only place that you'll find true justice is in him, in our righteous and just God. In him you'll find justice for yourself and you'll find justice for this world. But not only is this such a good news story for a world that longs for justice, but it is a, a good news story in a world that longs for equality. Because the gospel is the great equaliser. You want equality in our world? You want unity in our world? Then you need the gospel. You can try and get it through political power or uh, through education or through... Um, uh, advocacy. But all of those things will ultimately fail because sin will rear its ugly head. But in the gospel, we have equality for every man, woman and child. It declares all of us short of God's standards and in need of one thing, his gift of justice his gift of righteousness, his free gift of salvation.
And if the gospel wasn't good news enough because about, it was about justice, and if the gospel wasn't good news enough because it was about equality, then the gospel is good news too. Because it is the, the power and the road to living your best life. Now, Jesus says, I've come to give you life, John 10, 10, and life to the full. You need the gospel to live the good life because that is actually how you were created to live, to serve God and him alone. And when you come to faith in Christ, God gifts you the Holy Spirit who empowers you to live in a truly good way. Well, we'll see all of this play out over the coming weeks as we dive into this wonderful book and please uh, feel free to ask questions in the comments, uh, send us a message, uh, and uh, anyone asks a really good question now, I might even answer it before we uh, cut off the stream in a, in a moment, uh, or after I've prayed. But uh, let me leave you with this quote. Uh, the 18th century philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau in The Social Contract said this, and he was dead wrong. Man was born free, and everywhere he is in chains. And many people believe that, don't they? That, uh, that if we could just be free from external influence, then we would, we would be truly free. And so we need to take off the shackles of whatever it is that's oppressing us. Man was born free and everywhere he is in chains. What the gospel story is, and this is hard to get our heads around because we think like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, we're taught to think like that. But the truth of the gospel is actually entirely opposite. Man is born in chains and Christ brings freedom. We actually want to put on Christ in order to get out of jail out of slavery to sin and into the justice and the freedom and the equality that Christ brings in the gospel. So, I'll leave you to chew on that for a bit. But let me invite you to join us in the coming weeks as we explore what true freedom in Christ looks like.